Hello and welcome to the third show. Lots happening since we spoke previously. On our very first outing, we left off just before the Sheffield game and we're feeling slightly pessimistic about what was likely to happen next. We needn't have worried, thankfully. So we'll pick up on that and also talk to you about that Derby game you may have heard of. But let's do the introductions first. It's good morning to Phil. Hello. Good morning to Steve. Morning. Hello to Dave. Morning. And morning to Sean. Hello. So where do we start, gents, with the um, the Sheffield game we maybe came across as a bit negative uh, and we were told off, weren't we, slightly on social, although we always appreciate your comments on social, so please do keep them coming. Uh, but it turned out okay in the end, didn't it? It did turn out all right. I've, since that recording, I've been on a special course for optimism. <laughs> so I've, I've decided I'm going to be a lot happier. The most pleasing thing about the Sheffield United game was there was resolve, there was grit. I've never seen a Sheffield United team play like that before. It's that age-old thing in it of a can't really put a price on the the momentum that comes from you know yeah. winning a league and coming up, and you can see it coursing through them now. They looked a really, really decent side. They've been able to put the same 11 out by and large across games but it was a really weird experience to see a Forest side being out footballed by a Sheffield United side for the first sort of 20 minutes half an hour of that game Passing and the movement was superb really I mean they were a really pleasant team to watch which is certainly not normally the case with Sheffield United it's, it's weird to be quite impressed by a Sheffield United team and be um, quite complimentary towards them and say nice things about them and, and they've managed to do so well with even Leon Clark in their squad I know, what's that which about? is Yeah, which is bizarre. I mean, anybody who can do that well whilst having him play up front is incredibly frustrating and annoying that they managed to do that. But um, fair play to them, I suppose. What we'd start to see against Sheffield United was this kind of idea that team formation and the habits that the team are getting into were starting to bear fruition. They A few games earlier, they might have collapsed. Uh, discipline might have been lost. But the fact that discipline in shape and what a belief that what they were trying to do was maintained throughout and I think that held us and kept the resolve together in order to get the result. You know what pleased me about it as well was that you know you can see this two different ways and in terms of Warburton's willingness to to change things quite early on in games. You can say that on on the one hand why is it so often wrong from the start but on the other hand if you want to be a lot more positive about it and a lot more realistic it's good to have somebody who's brave enough to make fairly significant changes to shape and direction and and what was pleasing about the second half of the Sheffield United game was we stopped their game and yeah we fundamentally changed the way that they approached that game from a a very good technical first half to for all their pressure in the second half I don't recall Smith having a great deal to do in the second half of that game and you know credit to Warburton for that because changed the approach and it changed their natural game. Where Warburton is absolutely not prepared to compromise is in his philosophy about the way that we play the game but that doesn't mean that we don't adapt to what is happening within a game so what we're building in ultimately is flexibility so it's possible for us to play with three at the back it's possible to play with four it's possible to have one up front or two up front you know we can vary the way that we play in terms of the way that we structure and the way that we counteract what's happening from an opposition perspective. We need to talk about Derby, don't we, really? Yeah, absolutely. I wasn't quite convinced. I think against Derby, whilst there were pleasing things and we've talked about, or lots of people have talked about how the performance, there wasn't a lot wrong with it. And and I'd certainly agree with that. But um, I, I just think that we were utterly ineffective in the second half. And it's easy to sort of pat ourselves on the back and say, we, well, if that would have gone in and we hadn't considered after 23 seconds. But I, I thought it was a worrying performance. I, I lost a little bit of hope and I might need to go on a course with Phil next time. But at that moment, after the Derby game, I, I started to worry just a little, little bit. Not because there was anything wrong with the performance, but because 
precisely for that reason. The performance was decent, we played exactly how we'd expect us to play, but it was utterly ineffective. We can talk, like we said, about chances being spurned and two silly errors, but I, I just got a sense that this wasn't working against Derby. Um, and the second half was, was, was really quite poor. And uh, I'm not sure the substitutions helped us in any way in the second half as well either. There's two things to, I think, bear in mind with this. For all the talk about the you know, the goal after 24 seconds and everything like that, we were, we were talking off mic about players like Vidra. The Championship as a league has changed so fundamentally over the past four or five years now that it seems every other week you're playing against teams who have normally in attacking positions as well a five, six, seven million pound player. That wasn't the case with a mid to upper table team like Derby a few years ago, but it is now. And it would be the same if you're playing a Borough. Sheffield Wednesday, God knows what the, the combined price of their stable of forwards is and everything. But you're not talking about clear-cut promotion hopefuls and that. You're, you're talking about this clutch of also Rams and nearly teams and things like that. You know, for that goal for the first 24 seconds... Teams don't tend to score good goals against Forest or whoever your team is that you support. It's always about the errors and everything like that. Yeah, you can say that Brig Cook could have been a bit tighter on it. You could say that Mansen could have closed down. I just thought it was a good strike. Derby went into that game arguably with a lot more pressure on them than we had on us. There is more expectation on them this year. And they did what you know what you would do in a Derby at home. You come out of the traps quickly, you're very direct sort of five times out of ten you could stop that goal but I didn't think it was quite the car crash defending the second one annoyed me a lot more because it's another one right through the middle of the team and there's this this yawning gap between midfield where the ball was lost again be it Dowell be it Osborne be it anybody who within these neat little pedestrian triangles gives the ball away or gets out muscled by the way Kieran Dowell, love him. Never seen a weaker six foot one footballer. Certainly against Derby, I think it was yeah. noticeable that he was struggling yeah. with the pace of the game. The, and, and what was interesting is that we saw him rested for this for, for the Burton game. And at first, I was a little bit confused, but then I sort of fought back on that and I thought it was a really good decision to be honest because yeah Burton were always going to get 10 men behind the ball and there's going to be so little space for Dowell to operate and I thought Dowell was decent when he came on and we were already winning I mean yesterday was was an easy game to come into if Mm. you're Bukalakis if you're Dowell because you are we talk about plan A's and plan B's Burton will only ever have a plan A and that's through no fault of theirs it's just resourcing ability you're going to sit deep you're going to have a bank of four a bank of five sit off that either works or it does when you come into a game like that as an attacking midfielder and the game's already being stretched you're basically coming into a training game yeah, which and, 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 and did and yesterday played it really on, really well and played really well so did Dowell I love Dowell as a player I think he's going to be a great player but the big part of his education in terms of being out on loan with us this year is learning how to use his body and yeah. bulk up a little bit more because he's a big boy he's a big lad and that could be a real asset for him but the Derby game I just thought it caught up with him. Thought he played the occasion. He's a 19-year-old with very little experience. Absolutely. And we shouldn't be expecting, you know, him to come in and dominate the championship, which is a very competitive league, and it's not an easy place as a 19-year-old to come in and say, "I'm going to impose myself on it." So it is part of his learning. Derby have been particularly strong in centre mid for a good four or five years. A lot of experience in at this point. There's loads of experience in there, and I thought that is the kind of lineup you would want to go with on paper if you're Derby, in a Derby game. And a player like Huddleston is exactly the sort of player that you'd think, how would you like to drop him into our midfield? Somebody who's not only a footballer, who can play, 
but is big and physical and can play that athletic role as well. And that's the one thing that we kind of lack in our midfield. We've got lots of nice footballers in there, but what we haven't really got is a big athlete who can really impose themselves in the sort of game where we need to battle it out, which whatever we, however we want to play, we've got to accept that there are occasions in the championship where you need somebody who can battle it out. And that that was really noticeable in the second half against Derby. In the middle of the park, we had a a, a bunch of midgets, really, who uh, were eased off the ball, like you said, with Dowell there. I think just going back to the the goals, and it pains me to do so, Derby did exactly what we thought they'd do. They didn't need to be much better than us to beat us quite comfortably, and that was the frustrating thing for me. They knew exactly, let them have the ball, let Forrest have the ball, let them weave their tricky little triangles until the final third, and then they'll make a mistake. And when they make that mistake, we will pounce on it. And that's what made me feel quite low, that actually only a half-decent team, that's all you need to do with Forrest. I think Burton came with a very similar game plan. And like you said earlier, there's, there's no point beating Burton with a, with a stick for that because I thought what they no. did really, really well. Yeah. First half, they crowded us out. Uh, and they, they had a really good chance in the first half, which came precisely from, you know, let them come at us, let them flounder on the rocks, and then we'll hit them and we'll hit them hard and we'll get one chance and we'll put it away. Yeah. What, what particularly concerned me about the Derby game, I think, was, was Gary Rowett's comments afterwards when he was saying some, you know, really unusually explicit things like we knew we'd get in behind yeah. Danny Fox yes. and things like that now yeah. if you're willing to to reference that and, and that's nothing against Fox because I've said before I am uh, I know I'm in a small minority on this but I'm something of a Danny Fox fan if you're flagging that up ahead of time because that's what happened with the second goal Nugent made a run in behind Fox and from their point of view that's gone exactly to plan on that but if it's that transparent those weaknesses ahead of time that's something of a concern in there so it, it was the second goal yeah, that annoyed right. me more because you, you sort of have images in some like secret war room at Pride Park a flip chart with exactly what happened for Beat the second goal beyond written out on yeah. it one of their midfielders will lose it in a tight space there'll be no holding player dropping into cover there's going to be a 20 yard gap between that and a back four Fox is going to be slightly too advanced make a run in behind you'll score yeah and it, that was what it, happened. Yeah. Clockwork, so. textbook. And that's that's what worried me quite a lot and made me feel quite low. Not about everything throwing everything in the bin and starting again, far from that, but it just made me think, hmm, we are going to be limited in terms of what we can achieve this season. Yet, yeah, we sit here now after the Burton game, and I think where we are is is something that we should enjoy. We are mid-table, we are three points off the playoffs, so I think we're maybe eight points clear of relegation. We are going to win some games most notably against the teams in the lower half of the division mm-hmm. we're going to lose some games against decent teams at the top end of the division because that's precisely what we've done so far on occasions we'll be lucky uh, a little bit lucky like we were against Millwall and on occasions we'll be quite unlucky perhaps like we were against Derby but certainly we're, like we were against Barnsley mm-hmm. and that's where we are we are mediocre we are bang in the middle of the table and uh, let's, let's enjoy it I'd like to rewind slightly on that to we're limited in what we're able to achieve mm-hmm. this season. Absolutely we are. We've been limited by five years, arguably more than five <laughs> years, of absolutely appalling leadership. So, of course, we're limited in what we can achieve this season. And I think one of the things that Warburton said about Mackay, as an example, because I think Mackay is one of these players who continues to be the most influential in terms of involvement in goals that, that Forrest produce. But he said he doesn't realise how good he is. Mm-hmm. And I think you go back to that Derby game and you he had two chances that were pretty much identical to Vidra's and Nugent's and one hit the post and one was saved by the keeper. And you think, here's a, a kid, basically, who's come down from Scotland, is in his first season in the Championship 
and he's found himself a bit of space to make that first shot and he's got himself into a good position for the second one but he hasn't quite got the belief yet in himself that he can actually go on and be a leading player in the championship mm-hmm. now once that clicks and he realizes that actually he's got the talent and he will go on to be one of the leading players in the championship we've got a quality player there for yeah. very little money and it, it's that phrase that keeps coming up again we are a work in progress and it's exactly things like that that will give us the opportunity to kick on in the future but this season mean we are undoubtedly limited in where we're going to end up and mid-table's good and that finish against Burton was at first I thought it was quite standard but looking back it was an awesome finish to yep. find the top uh, corner and he also played the pass that put Lehigh yes. in for his so that's two more goals that he's been involved with mm-hmm. and you go back and you look at all of our goals and nearly always Mackay is somewhere there in that goal um, Sean, just changing the subject slightly, you went over to the Derby game, didn't you? Were you um, were you made to feel welcome? <laughs> no, definitely not. I mean, the journey in was eye-opening enough, let alone being in the ground. I thought we played really well in the Sheffield United game before the international break, and the resolve that we showed us, as Phil Carrelli said as well, you know, the grit and determination to to grind out a, a win against Sheffield United was really, really pleasing to see, and something I'd not seen this season so far and you think okay we're going into the international break now we've got some time we'll build on that go to Derby I'll be happy with a draw they played the occasion okay we can talk about starting 11s Phil and I said off mic I can see why it didn't play Worrell because he would have played the occasion and sometimes his head can go a little bit and that's no detriment to him he's I love him he's, he's brilliant but I would have played Brereton through the middle because I think we needed that you know just to give him a start up top he's a Nottingham boy he would have wanted to score. You know, the thing with Worrell is there's nothing where he probably wanted to go through a few Derby players, and there's nothing wrong with that. But then you don't want to play with 10 men. I've never felt so disappointed after a game than I did when we lost to Derby, and that's not just because we lost. I think there's a little bit of expectation in me that we get something out of it. That's the first time I've been to a Derby away game. I'd be reticent to go back to another one for whole lots of different reasons. I couldn't believe it. I want so much for this to work. Because I really think Warburton is our man. Actually, can I just um, pick up on something that um, about the Derby game? I was listening to the commentary on the BBC, and um, the guy on there at the end of it said, um, uh, "You know what? This just isn't working in relation to the performance." And it just reminded me, Phil, of, of the exact same way that you said it following the the Fulham match. Half time yesterday, talking about concerns at half time yesterday. After touching on this in, in the first podcast, where I think I was kind of, you know, either coming over as being excessively negative. It's not a case for me of it's not working or anything even close to that. It's because of what we are trying to unstitch at the moment in terms of damage, infrastructure, just all these legacy issues and everything like that. When I said last time out I don't know where this team can go. What I meant by that was, and you saw it in the first half yesterday, and you saw it in the second half against Derby, you're still, and I use the word again, fundamentally three or four players short of what we would need to make this work Mm. on a regular basis and make it work against better opposition. That's nobody's fault. It's just the amount of work that still needs to be done in terms of recruitment, in terms of sourcing players, because again, to go back to this Vidra, Gary Hooper, Britta Sambalonga thing, you're playing all of a sudden, unlike three or four years ago in this league, against real quality players. And I would love in January to see a couple of 
established championship, three million pound players coming. Your Lewis Dunks people. I'm not saying Lewis oh. Dunks. He's doing great things for. Oh, you were going to say Stella signings then for a second. Yeah, best <laughs> not. That probably won't happen. And it might be a good thing that that won't happen yeah. because the, the resource and the leeway isn't there to do that. But at the moment, I, I just think we are naturally hampered by a style, a brave, expansive style of football we're trying to play um, that isn't suited to two or three of the players who are starting at the moment and who need to start because there's nobody else. But if you looked at that 11 and you know compared it with a latter-day Brentford-Warburton-era team, there are three or four players who wouldn't be in that eleven because they're not cut out for the roles that they're trying to do. It's nobody's fault. It's just you're missing a ball-playing centre-half, for example. You're missing a truly dominant in-the-air centre-half. You're missing a, a holding player at the moment who actually knows what's required of them in that system. Warburton alluded to that after the game yesterday in terms of this balancing out between Vaughan, Brig, Cut similar to we're learning all the time what I will say and this is a public apology that I was instructed to give on my course I <laughs> had a go at Joe Worrell last time out when Worrell came on yesterday I thought he was mint he was great yeah. see Joe Worrell playing next to anyone other than Matt Mills I he think, was calm considered yeah, was, usable well things. very good I thought after the not game not a cart horse <laughs> <laughs> I thought after the game that Mark Warburton was brilliant and I thought on a number of levels he was brilliant and we'll probably dissect the different levels over the course of the next kind of 15 minutes or whatever it is. But what he said about the style of play I thought was really important. And he, he said, we've come in and we've basically said, this is how we're going to play, whether we're ready for that or not. This is our philosophy and this is how we're going to do it. And I think that's a really important point for him to make coming in as, as a new manager into what is now basically a club that's been rebuilt from the bottom up really there were so many missing pieces at this club that are having to be put back in place and what he said is this is where we're going get on board and let's go towards it and let's accept that you know, we're coming out of what was previously described as intensive care there's going to be ups and downs there's going to be setbacks we've got to accept that but this is where we're going and we will build to that philosophy and I think it's really important for us as a club to do that and to say, actually, it, we're not in the ideal space at the moment. We've not got the players that we need to perfectly display what we want to do. But we're making it clear that this is where we're heading. And importantly as well, we're saying that we back Warburton. We believe in that philosophy and we believe in where he's going to take us. And for the first time in a very long time, we're actually going to say the manager's in charge. The players aren't going to determine what happens. The players aren't going to kick up a fuss and get him sacked. The manager is leading this club and this is the path he's going to take us on and we're going to get behind him. And I think that is absolutely crucial to the future of the club. We've got to get behind what he's trying to do and the players that do react negatively to that can go. And they're not going to impose a weak structure on us by undermining the manager any longer. And we have had that situation over the last few years where people have known that they can get rid of a manager from this football club at the drop of a hat. And that has got to end. The manager's got to be in charge. Now, I wasn't there yesterday, Steve, but I understand from these gentlemen that you had a few issues with some, not all, some of the uh, the Forest fans yesterday. I get the frustration. blue. <laughs> I understand why what amounted to after the first 10 minutes which started really well actually I thought we, we made a cracking start it then became a really turgid first half it was dreadful in many ways it was dreadful because Burton were an absolute model of a small club with a small budget 
doing the best that it could with its limited resources. And they played it fantastically. And everybody came behind the ball. We mm. couldn't find a way around them. And in the end, we got so frustrated that we just stood there and watching it, really. Apart from Ben Osborne, he was the only one who was trying to make any movement, make anything happen. So I get that there was a, an element of frustration there, and, and rightly so. But given the context that I've just kind of laid out, that this is a club that is rebuilding from an absolute shambles of a mess, and we've got to accept that things will go forwards and backwards. The reaction to a number of incidents during that game just had me at the point where I thought, I'm close to walking away from this. And the reason was, there was the singing of, we've had a shot, which was funny. I totally understand it. It was funny because it was a dreadful game and we had a shot um, right at the end of it. There was a lot of ironic cheering of Jordan Smith when he decided not to roll the ball out to a Forest player but to aimlessly hoof it up Hit the pitch <laughs> where we inevitably lost it lost there was it. one occasion in particular where he was being goaded into kicking it and he kicked it and it went straight to their keeper yeah, and that's why we exactly. don't aimlessly kick the ball forwards because we inevitably lose it now we sometimes put pressure on ourselves because we're not a perfect beast and we roll the ball out we get put under pressure and we make mistakes and Eric Lehigh fabulously got us out of one of those with a, a brilliant goal line clearance but it wasn't a little faction of fans this no. was what really got to me it was a collective it was a majority of fans mm -hmm. singing songs having a go essentially at the way that the manager is trying to make us play we got then had the booing at half time obviously which was you know i kind of almost prefer that to the individual aspects because at least that's kind of saying come on lads that was rubbish i can kind of understand getting that message across then we had the whole eric lehigh goal scenario now i understand eric lehigh is probably a bit frustrated that he hasn't had many appearances this season so i think he's totally within his rights to kind of overreact when he scores a goal and to make a big deal of it he's going to have his own frustrations but he got the feeling that there was a deliberate mass over celebration of Eric Lehigh almost to spite the manager's previous decision to play Dirichwa and it really felt to me during that game that there was a a large movement towards trying to have a pop at the manager it's interesting isn't it the, the, the last three or four games there's undeniably there's a tension there between club management and fans. It's surprised me how apparent that tension has been because for the last three or four interviews post-match that Warburton or players have done, there's been a direct reference to criticism from the fans in yeah. there. So clearly it's it's apparent enough to be a problem. The first half was grim yesterday. It was so predictably grim in terms of a, how you know Burton or a team like Burton are going to play, and B, how exactly you know a team like Forrest are going to struggle with that given personnel. There's a flip chart in a Burton dressing room before yesterday. Two deep line banks get the crowd chuntering and take it from there. And it was Absolutely. exactly what happened. That's what you do in a game like that. If Forrest went away, and I'm trying not to think about last time Forrest went away in a cup game against a Premier League team, <laughs> but if Forrest went away to any kind of technically superior side where the gap was that big, as it is with Burton and Forrest, you'd do the same thing. You'd expect to see it. So it was so predictable from their point of view and from our point of view what was going to happen yesterday. What kind of does me a little bit with this is... We've had two or three years recently of this rhetorical kind of thing of, in quotes, all I want is a properly managed football club, I'll be fine with that. So you get that, or you get the beginnings of it, you get the first signs of that, you know, all these necessary initial moves, You know, people coming in who should have been there in the first place, 
you start satiating that that need for the right people and the right jobs and everything and then that rhetoric is just blown out of the water the first time you get you know gubbed at Chelsea or you draw a nil-nil at home to Burton and the parameters shift so markedly it's like again and it is rhetoric but all that rhetoric is just forgotten in an instant and it's suddenly all about the immediacy of not beating Burton by half time and you do get this element of like right the you know the club is attempting to heal itself the fan base needs to heal as well but it's a two-way relationship there needs to be a willingness to learn within the fan base and you don't want to be too preachy or too sanctimonious about it but at the same time you don't boo a nil-nil at half time you don't boo a team off. I, yeah. I, I would go a step further than what you're saying, Steve. It's out of order. You don't boo a team off nil-nil at half-time. The sarcastic cheers are never going to have, the ironic applause are never going to have that kind of positive effect. And I just, I was disappointed yesterday in terms of how quickly that overarching message of unity and cohesion gets forgotten in the bin, just yeah. because Jordan Smith and, and it genuinely it. felt vindictive to me yesterday. I, thought I don't it know whether times, that's yeah. me overreacting because this is very much the model that I've been kind of banging on about for a long time and I feel like we've finally got it. But it felt like there was a vindictiveness to a large portion of the crowd which really shocked me yesterday. It's an interesting yeah. sorry David, sorry, it's an on. interesting thing as well that the right back position is a microcosm of new way versus old way. Dariqua is the new way. And there's been this emerging frustration in some quarters about the way that Dariqua plays football. What was interesting, by the way, in the Sheffield United game when they scored was was Warburton within the first minute of the game after they scored, pulling Dariqua to one side and having a very animated kind of discussion about turning your back on the ball, not stopping the cross, because it was a dreadful bit of defending from Dariqua for that. And there's been a few this year. But having said that, there are assets to Dariqua's game that Eric Lehigh doesn't have. Players, every player has their own abilities. I would argue that Dariqua, despite Lehigh scoring yesterday, is a more potent attacking threat than Lehigh is. But there is this fetish for whoever's not in the team, as we've discussed before, is the answer. And I agree with, I think vindictive is the word. I agree with you yesterday that when Lehigh scored, it was this endorsement of, see, we were right all along. Mm. Mm. And I really like Lehigh, don't get me wrong. I think Absolutely, he's, yeah. because of his, I think his character throughout the time that he's been at the club has been excellent in terms of his commitment to the team and his desire to perform he's kind of almost your archetype of the the American footballer that you imagine bringing in who just loves to play the game and is just happy to be here and I think he's been a real asset to us and I think he's been a genuinely good guy to have at the club Um, but the fans use that opportunity to really stick the knife into to Warburton I thought I think interestingly though, I mean, Dariq was Nottingham born, isn't he? Yes. Yeah. So if he'd have come up through the ranks and been, if he was like a Joe Worrell or a Ben Brereton, it would be different, wouldn't it? And and, and we've talked about that previously, about yeah. whether they deserve that extra mileage or sympathy. As, as Phil's quite rightly said, it's, it's the old school against the new school. Dariq was his man, there's no question about it. And he's going to be there. But he'll be the first choice and Lehigh will be gone. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. Football teams change that players leave I love Lee I think he's great so I didn't think he had a particularly good game against Chelsea but then no one did because it's Chelsea (laughs) because they're the Premier League champions absolutely and why wouldn't they play really well against us I think for all the frustrations certainly that you've articulated Steve and certainly the frustrations I've voiced about our performances our lineup, the size of our midfield and various things like that the big picture or the truth is this is that we finally got precisely what we wanted We've got a team who are trying to play 
in a certain way. We've got a team that's laying down some football philosophy and some principles. We've got a team that is uh, healing itself, or a club perhaps that's healing itself off the pitch. We've got everything we wanted, everything that we banged on about in the summer over the last five years, and then suddenly, on occasions, it's not enough. And, and that's the worry and that's the concern. You know, I, I speak, I'm speaking for myself, but generally, sometimes we have our frustrations, but we just need to rein our necks in a little bit because this is what we wanted. If, if you wanted a, a mid-table, no-stress season, playing some decent football, if that's what you wanted last season, and Lord knows that's what I wanted, we've got it, and this yeah. is it. And bear in mind, we've won 46% of our games. The problem is that we, we've lost a lot you know if we'd drawn three of those seven games we'd be neck and neck with the playoffs yeah. and we'd be raving about it yeah. cool yeah how absolutely. many teams win 46 percent of their games yeah, it, yeah it does make you wonder though don't i think you, interesting turn of phrase there dave it does make you wonder what would be enough never nothing yeah, never. Right. i was Is, about to say it will never be we enough were talk, we, we were, were talking, talking about it. Yeah. So i've got a mate who's a stoke fan right and he's um what, 26 27 um he's had 10 years of stoke city as a top flight yeah. football club He's miserable. Yeah, he's absolutely miserable because he. Yeah, he had the initial sort of five or six years of complete anonymity that you would have had as a Stoke fan prior to them being in the Premier League. Um, you know, getting gub six 0 at Forest and Marlon scoring four cup against. Runs, they've had the sojourns. They've had Europe all that. As well. They've had all that, and all that's happened is his misery as a Stoke fan has just reconfigured itself into misery as Stoke as a top flight club. And now the frustrations are there. It's like we were talking last night, Sean. It's the it's like the Alan Kerbishley syndrome of yeah. when, when is it enough? If you are a Charlton Athletic fan and you reach this arbitrary point where you turn around and get up a bit, you know, harumphy and say we need to press on, where's the ceiling with this? What what constitutes pressing on to Charlton Athletic? What constitutes being better to Nottingham Forest? There's a part of me that believes when I see a response like yesterday that if we were a top flight club at this point give it you know or, or two three years time there'd be similar amounts of complaining because we would then be a top flight club scraping along or struggling to survive the premier league champions of two years ago are currently referring to themselves as things like joke club and laughing stock of football you're leicester city doing exactly what leicester would do in any other given season mm. aside from the one you won the league scraping around at the bottom of the league being Leicester and normally that would have been fine but it's, it's amazing enough, yeah. to see how this dissatisfaction just reconfigures itself nowadays not just for Forest fans but for any fan as to whatever your prevailing circumstances are and this is why for me that the fundamental thing that you have to have is an identity and values and because at the end of the day we're, we're what's going to distinguish us what's the point of supporting Nottingham Forest or Leicester City or anybody else if there is an ultimate ceiling which is pretty much can we can we stay in the Premier League again can we maybe go up a place can we go up two places can we get to eighth when you're living in that sort of, of world where it's extremely difficult to compete and you look at the Premier League teams and they're becoming full of people that you've never heard of that are just shipped in for lots of money and they all look the same in terms of the makeup of those teams. You know, there's nobody to connect to particularly because the manager will change every time it looks like you're in a little bit of trouble and the players will change every time the manager changes. And you need something to root your support of your club into. And this, I mean, Sean O'Driscoll talked about it and I think there's a lot of parallels between Mark Warburton's situation now and Sean O'Driscoll's situation when he was here. It's saying, you know, the, there's always a ceiling, ultimately, with things like money. Somebody always ends up being richer than you eventually if you go up the tables and everything else. So you need to put your foundations down, you need your philosophy, and that's what will distinguish you and allow you to compete. 
And that's what we're trying to do now. And we have literally got everything we've been crying out for for the last few years. Now, they haven't delivered it all yet, obviously, because it's early days. And at the moment, there's lots of kind of warm words and things without all being delivered into actions because that sort of stuff takes time. But we've got a real opportunity now to build a football club that we can be really proud of. I was talking to somebody at Forest the other day and they said, we, what we want is a club that everybody in this community can relate to in some at some level. doesn't mean they have to come to the city ground every week. They could come and watch the women play. They could get involved with the charitable trust. There's so many ways in which Forest can embed itself in its community and be something that can be a proud thing for Nottingham and a proud thing for all, for all of us as fans that is greater than Saturday to Saturday results. Yeah. And that's what we're investing in now. And it's a it's a real opportunity that we can't afford to throw away through just a few ironic cheers and, and chants and stuff at matches that turns all of those players against the philosophy that we're trying to embed. There's a bigger picture to which we all perhaps should adhere to and buy into. And as it stands, this is where we are. We're exactly where we'd have liked to have been. And uh, let's hope we can say the same again next time we meet. Well, listen, thanks, everyone. A really positive place to end there. Thanks to Phil Juggins, Steve Wright, Dave Marples, Sean Hockett. I'm John Anderson. Also, thanks to everyone who's given us a really nice review so far on iTunes. Uh, We really appreciate that. And if you did have the time to leave one yourself, hopefully positive, that would be grand. Also, keep those stories coming in about unlikely times you've seen a Forest player. Had some great ones so far. Join in the conversation at Bandy and Shinty. Visit us online at bandyandshinty.com. Particularly if you've got an idea for the show. It's not like we're fresh out of ideas or anything, but we do welcome them. We'll be back very, very soon. Our next show will be one of those extra things where we discuss all things for us and have a bit of a ramble. But for now, thank you for listening and all the best. Listen to the real, 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 the